Hello, this is Philip Terzian, Literary Editor of the Weekly Standard, and I'm here to talk a little bit about this week's Books and Arts section, which I think, as always, will be of interest to readers. We've tried to put together a package that appeals to just about everybody in our audience, and then some. The lead piece is of interest to me. It's, it's a review of the letters of Leonard Bernstein, and the review is by John Simon, the veteran uh, drama and music critic in New York. Leonard Bernstein, it's now the year 2013, Leonard Bernstein died a quarter of a century ago, and it's a little difficult at this remove to convey exactly what he was and what he meant to the culture and the popular culture. In fact, it's a little amazing when you think in retrospect that a man who was basically the conductor of a philharmonic, a symphony orchestra, the New York Philharmonic, was also something of a pop culture figure, kind of a rock star, as we would say. Bernstein, in that sense, was unique in his time and has not, there really hasn't been a, a Leonard Bernstein, or Lenny, as he was affectionately known at the time, since then. And his career was an interesting one and not entirely conventional even by musical standards. He, of course, as I say, was the longtime conductor of the New York Philharmonic and conducted all the major orchestras of the world. And I leave it to the music critics to decide how great a conductor he was, but he certainly was a very well-known one. Uh, anyone my age or approximately and somewhere in the baby boom range will remember his nationally televised young people's concerts from Carnegie Hall in the 1950s and early 60s. And I have to say that no matter what you may think about Leonard Bernstein, both as a human being and as a conductor, he did have a kind of charisma and he did convey a affection and infatuation uh, with music that was that was in itself infectious. I remember them very well. But he not only was a symphonic conductor, but of course he was also a uh, composer, a Broadway composer. He's perhaps best known for the score for West Side Story, as well as Candide and Fancy Free and other Broadway shows of a fairly high caliber. But the correspondence is interesting. It's a Bernstein, like many great artists, was a very complicated man. He was a, I guess you would say, semi-closeted homosexual in an era when that was more problematical than it is today. And so a lot of the correspondence has a lot to do with his private life, about which he was candid with his friends. Um, in ways that we might even today find interesting and uh, somewhat shocking in some in some ways, but it's also a story about 20th century music and Bernstein's involvement with it. I think a little less involvement in the correspondence with his politics, which were predictably left-wing, and of course he still suffers to some degree from the devastating portrait of uh, that Tom Wolfe drew of his fundraising cocktail party in his Manhattan apartment for the Black Panthers in 1970. It's an interesting book, and I think even if you weren't alive in Leonard Bernstein's time, it's a 
it's a real insight into the private life and the private thinking of a man who was an artist who didn't quite achieve in art what he thought he could, was a supreme celebrity prior to the current era of celebrity, and yet found celebrity to be very much a, a kind of mixed blessing. Another book we have is a kind of fascinating book by a man called Mike Lanza. Uh, the review is by Abby Schachter, and the book is called Playborhood, Turn Your Neighborhood into a Place for Play. And it's basically a kind of plea for uh, children to allow themselves, to, uh, for children to be allowed to be children. I think any parent, contemporary parent, knows that the lives of their children are infinitely more organized than they used to be. They're certainly a lot more organized than they were in my childhood, which was a very long time ago. But for a combination of reasons, um, we really don't send children outside to play so much anymore and and rely on their own resources. We have to they have to be in a soccer league, they have to be in a little league team, they have to be in organized activities, they have to have a coach, they have to have a lawyer advising the coach on what can and cannot be done. And a lot of the joy and spontaneity of childhood, a lot of what you learn in childhood play, playing baseball, playing other uh, childish games, is lost. And Mr. Lenz's thesis is that parents need to in a, in, a, in a paradoxical way, they need to organize to allow children to lead somewhat more disorganized lives. We also have a review of a fascinating book. Uh, uh, the review is by a writer uh, named Brian Kelly, but the book is called Shady Characters, The Secret Life of Punctuation, Symbols, and Other Typographical Marks. And I learned something from reading this about how the written language has evolved, at least in, in the West. Of course, we live in a society of almost universal literacy here in the United States, but we don't think, and I hadn't really thought too much, about how the, the printed language that we read and see every day, and not just in books and magazines, but also on computers and iPods and whatnot, uh, how it evolved, um, and that the way that language was organized in printed form, of course, didn't happen overnight, and it evolved slowly and with all kinds of interesting influences, and devices were invented to make it possible to make that written language more comprehensible. Obviously, we know the periods and commas and semicolons, and uh, we don't have as many accents in English as they do in other languages, but there are stories behind all of that. And, of course, in recent years, there have been efforts to introduce certain symbols that sometimes succeed and some don't. Obviously, the Internet has given us a whole bunch of written symbols uh, and acronyms and other things that have a now universal meaning, which have caught on inexplicably or explicably. Uh, and then there are others which seem like good ideas which haven't caught on. And it's a very entertaining piece and a very instructive piece. 
Uh, David Aikman writes on uh, Samuel Gregg's Becoming Europe, which is about the the situation that the Europeans are facing with a kind of populist uh, discontent and unrest about the heavy hand of the European Union and how uh, the welfare states that the Western European countries uh, gave themselves in the post-war era have now become financially unsustainable, and he's a little worried that these trends, while the Europeans are finally waking up to the the difficulties inherent in them, we seem to be embracing them, and he's hoping that, that we won't. Jonathan Leaf, a uh, playwright in New York, has an interesting piece on a fellow playwright named J.T. Rogers, who tends to write plays that have a certain political resonance, and as a consequence, he's, I don't want to say controversial, but Leaf's point is that he's not appreciated quite as widely as he should be, and uh, makes the case that J.T. Rogers, um, as a playwright, uh, in a form where it's difficult really to to successfully pursue political themes, does so and succeeds, and that we ought to know more about him and we ought to see more productions of his plays. Finally this week, our film critic John Podhoritz looks at American Hustle, uh, which, uh, of course, is a story kind of loosely based on the Abscam scandal of uh, the 1970s, uh, or of 1980, rather. John has an unerring eye for the for the, the the period details in movies, and he points out this as a film obviously set in the late 70s. I guess the Abscam scandal was actually in 1980. But as always, Hollywood tries very hard to get the atmospherics, but they always go, they step over the bounds by a, a, a yard or two. It's always a little too perfect. The, the perms are a little too big. The afros are a little too gigantic. The, the uh, lapels are a little too wide. And that's just one aspect of American Hustle. John tells us about the story and what it means and how Hollywood treats it and what that means in his, in his inimitable way. I think you'll like the package this week, and I'm sure you'll like the package next week, which I will talk about next time.